Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Today, um, we are in, in, our, in our Matthew, in our Gospel of the Kingdom series, um, we are what we called last week, kind of Matthew's, or week before last, Matthew's Road to Jerusalem, and uh, talking about what exactly it means for Yeshua as our Messiah to lay down His life, to be buried, and then to be resurrected. Oddly enough, this is the one topic that Christianity builds its entire belief system on. The life, death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua. And yet, or maybe, and so, it is maybe one of the most misunderstood or diversely understood events, even within Christianity. And when you go to start really trying to understand it, people get really offended, in my experience. When I was still in church, you know, it was, it was one thing to start wearing tassels and people looked at you really funny. It was one thing to say, oh, no, I'm not going to eat any ham at the church banquet. God forbid. Yeah. It was, it was you know, it was, it was one thing to, to do those kinds of things. But I started having conversations with people. And started going, so like, what is salvation to you? What, is that, what does that mean? What does that look like to you? And people got really nervous. They didn't like it. Personally, I think it's because they really don't understand it. But I got a lot of pushback from people. First, it was kind of like, well, you're a minister. Why are you asking me? <laughs> you should, you're the expert. You should know these things. And I wasn't asking because I needed to know. I was asking for conversation's sake because I've been finding some things out that I was never taught before. And so th- this is my, my point and my, kind of my introduction to what we're going to talk about today is that we all walk around, and not just us, but believers in the kingdom. We walk around and we believe and we say that a, our salvation and our relationship with God through Yeshua our Messiah is the most important decision we'll ever make. Everybody agree with that? It's the most important decision you can ever make. Getting married is a huge decision. But choosing to be loyal and following after Yeshua is an even bigger deal. Buying a house is a major commitment. What college you're going to go to, what, what, where you're going to live, all these things are major decisions. Whether you're going to have kids or not, how many you're going to have, major decisions. PTSD. Chill, bro. <laughs> I'm triggering Kyle. And think about how much time and effort we put into all of those decisions. 
go to buy a house, how many, how many months do you research deciding what college you're going to go to, where Kyle is right now? How, many, how long do you research and figure it out? Or maybe you didn't, maybe you just went to the nearest one. But when you, when you fall in love, how much time do you spend? All these major decisions, think about how much we think about them because we understand the weight of them. We understand that there is a cost to them. There is a cost to be counted. And yet, how much have we really, really thought about salvation? Here's my, my, my heart on this, is that if we believe what we say, that salvation is the most important decision, foundationally, fundamentally, the most important decision we will ever make in our lives, that it will affect the lives of our spouse and our children and our family and all of every aspect of our life. If we believe that, then shouldn't we want to understand what all of that entails? Shouldn't we want to tear it apart and, and see the inside, see the, the guts of what salvation and deliverance atonement means? Shouldn't we want to turn it upside down and, and look at the back and, and, and really really, really understand. But when you start doing that, people think that you're trying to get out of believing. They, they think you're trying, to, they think you're trying to, to, to find some kind of loophole. And, and the point is that through asking these questions and through trying to understand what exactly am I, what, who am I following? What did he do? That, that affects me and how does it affect me and then what is my responsibility to that I think those three questions are really important I want to mine and I want to, to, uh, to dig out as much as I can about this event that changed the course of history the, the, the resurrection of Yeshua changed the course of history his, his life period the, his very existence changed the course of of, of world history, of human history. And yet I would bet that most of us walked an aisle or prayed a quick prayer and we were saved. And we never thought about it again. Never questioned it again. What, what happened? What, what is my response? What is my responsibility? My, the other side of this argument or this, this question then is maybe because people don't want to talk about it, maybe that's an indication that we really don't believe it's the most important decision we've ever made. Oof. Maybe we spend more time researching where we're going to live because we really do believe that's more important than the state of our soul. And where our allegiance lies to the kingdoms of heaven and earth. Maybe our lack of wanting to really dig in and our defense being, oh, well, no, it's just Jesus died and that his blood covered my sins and that's, that's enough. Maybe it's indication that we're, we really have other priorities. So today, like I said, it's a big brain day. So just get ready. If you, if you didn't get enough sleep last night. Me neither. Yeah, neither did we. It's fine. I believe in one solo. 
We solo bootstrapa. Solo. <laughs> so by your bootstraps alone, yeah, we will your... get through this. Um, I promise. If uh, if we're we're gonna try not to be too deep in the weeds and, and too all that, but what we want to talk about today is we want to talk about um, about atonement. Because that is, isn't is it not kind of one of the big points of, of Yeshua's whole whole deal, is atonement. And um, there's going to be some places where we might hurt your feelings. If your feelings get hurt, they might need to get hurt. If you're offended, you might need to be a little offended. I don't get mad. Just take it as, oh, like, oh, there's a tender spot. Chances I'm, are I'm going to make it better by the end. So. Yeah, we're going to make. Yeah, we're going to soothe it all up. We're going to rub some Bengay on it by the end. It's going to be fine. You'll be able to walk it off. I I'm redoing a trailer and um and I was cleaning up the wheels so I could paint them and get new tires on them. And I only, it was only like an hour. I mean, it wasn't like you know man, hard manual labor. Um, Mr. Ron does more work in an hour than I did in that <laughs> hour. I mean, you know, in half an hour than I did in that hour. And I woke up the next morning and my hand was like I couldn't hardly move it. It was. It was hurt. It hurt so bad. And I thought, well, I can either get mad about it or I can realize that that's an area I probably need to work. Probably need to do some more stuff to strengthen it. So if there's an area where you feel like, ooh, that, ooh, ow, that didn't feel good, <laughs> then don't take it as an offense. Take it as, well, maybe there's an area you're insecure. And maybe it's an area you need to think about and pray about, study about a little bit more. So. Atonement. Let's get after it. All right. So, um, first and foremost, I want to say um, this is uh, all religious doctrine and theology aside, this is a messy topic. And the reason that it's messy is because there's something about atonement that most of us do not realize, especially those of us from the deep south, fundamentalist, evangelical, whatever background you come from is that there are multiple theories of atonement that span back as far as the first writings of the followers of Yeshua post-New Testament. So that's part of the trouble. You go to look into this, and then you go like, holy cow. The, the, the theory of atonement presented to me whenever I said a prayer and was saved isn't the only way to quantify what happened. That in and of itself can be foundation-breaking in a good way. Right. Right? Now, why are there so many theories? I think this is so worth addressing. The theories are diverse because our Bible is diverse. Okay? Which, and I, I, let me explain. The Bible is rife with diverse themes and symbols and metaphors. So there's not one theory of the atonement that can account for all of those. Okay? It's not possible. Hence why there's so many theories. Each theory sort of picks up on one of those themes and runs with it. Okay? So, um, also, uh, another reason this is a bit messy is because some of the smaller things about the way you read the Bible, for instance, original sin, the devil and Satan, uh, let's see, what else? Death in the afterlife. You know, the small stuff, right? Um, <laughs> that stuff all factors into these theories as well, most of the time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and 
I, I intend to answer a few big questions, which is, uh, what are the theories? I'm, and we're only going to do a handful, and I'm not going to get really in the weeds. I'm going to explain them. We're going to talk about what some of the pros and cons of each are, and then we're going to try to uh, wrap this thing up in a healthy way to understand it. Uh, which theory is right? Of course, because that's important. <laughs> which emphasis is correct? And you'll see what I mean. And what are the implications of all of this? In other words, how are we going to live it? Okay, because a theory of atonement means nothing if you're not changed. Okay? Again, I, I really can't emphasize enough that this is a conversation that has been being had for 2,000 years. Literally. The, the epistles in the New Testament, so we're talking like after you've got finished reading the Gospels, all begin to talk about what happened. And, it, and so this conversation has been going on for 2,000 years, and there was variation from very early on. And the shocking thing is that the earliest theories probably don't match the one that got you saved in the South. <laughs> Which is the funniest thing to me. And, not, and I don't mean that in an impolite way. So... As I read these emphases, okay, of Yeshua's life and ministry, think about which one you put the most emphasis on whenever it comes to atonement before we start to address the theories. Okay, I think that that's really important. First of all, Yeshua's resurrection, which is the victory over death, right? The second would be uh, Yeshua's death itself, the suffering servant. And then finally, his life and teachings, right, which is like the instruction and the way of life of the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to start... With, uh, with theories that have to do with the victory over death, okay, with an emphasis on the resurrection. The first one is very, very old. Okay? Uh, it has its roots in Origen, right? the church father Origen, which again, I'm going to quote church fathers a lot. For the sake of, his, of history, we're looking at historical views of atonement. Okay? You may not have to agree with the church fathers all the time, but look, guys, let's just face it. Outside of the New Testament, we don't have any Jewish writings about the atonement that are that early. That's just the truth. Okay? So this goes all the way back to, to origin. Okay? In this view, the atonement was payment made to God, uh, by God to Satan, because Satan held mankind in bondage to sin. Okay? So origin in particular argued that the cross was a ransom Payment equal in value to a man's debt. Remember that debt language that we talked about the last time? A debt accrued since Adam's original sin. At the cross, the death payment of Christ, the devil was obliged to release man from bondage. Right? Very old theory. So it's this ransom um, monetary payment type of theory. Where we, we are in bondage to Satan and sin and we owe Satan, in origin's mind, we owe Satan... So God paid it through Yeshua. Okay, that's the, that's the gist of it. Um, so the, the main verse, people who hold to this view of atonement, and they still do today, uh, is 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. For there is one God and one intermediary between God and humanity, Messiah Yeshua, himself human, who gave himself as a ransom for all, revealing God's purpose at his appointed time. The idea of ransom has to do with monetary exchange, right? Hence where the theory comes from. We're gonna, I want to critique every single one because here's the thing. Every theory kind of has its own problem. What's the problem here? Do we owe Satan anything? <laughs> that's the immediate problem that people have with this theory. And even more, does God owe Satan anything? Right. No, that's the, that's <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. So does right. anybody owe Satan anything? That's the, that's the initial critique of this theory, right? 
And it's the one that, for people who, who really hold dogmatically to this theory, have to answer for. And there are answers, trust me. Um, okay, second, the second theory that has to do with the resurrection is actually one of the theories I outlined the last time we met. I just didn't call it by its name because it, quite frankly, doesn't matter. <laughs> but it's called Christus Victor. For those of you who don't speak Latin, that means the victory of Christ or the victorious Christ. And in this view, uh, its most prominent modern uh, person that argued it is named Gustav Allen, a, a, a German scholar, that the work of Christ is first and foremost a victory over the powers which hold mankind in bondage, sin, death, and he would say the devil. And this view is a reaction to the ransom theory. So here's another important thing. Most of these theories are reactions to one another. So this, I think this is a great theory. Because, first of all, it deals with what I think is, is the problem when it comes to sin, which is death. Um, but it's interesting that Gustav Allen basically said, well, like, I, I see that the victory over death is really important, but, like, the ransom theory is not it. So he, using the Bible, has his theory, right? And uh, I talked about it last week. It, this doesn't have so much to do with, with payment, right? It's, it's more of a, or a payment to something or someone. It's, it's not objective, right? Subjective. It's seen as a, as a conquest of victory over death, right? Because, and you can make it payment language if the wages of sin are death, Okay. Are, we, is it, are you guys tracking? So the idea of this one, the victorious Christ, is that Messiah is victorious over death. And, the, and the, um, the powers which hold us in bondage to death, right? So first of all, Galatians 1, 3 through 5. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Messiah Yeshua, who gave himself for our sins to, rec- to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So the idea is that it's not, this isn't escapism, right? He didn't rescue us from this evil age as in we got to zap out. He rescued us from the powers of sin and death that act through humanity, that, that manifest in evil, Okay. So another one, this one is going to be so surprising, and this is great because we're in the Passover season. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 through 8, clean out the old yeast so that you may be a new batch of dough. You are, in fact, without yeast. For Messiah, our Passover has been sacrificed. So then let us celebrate the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of vice and evil, but with the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. So, again, we've talked about this. The Passover wasn't a sin offering, but what did it rescue Israel from? Death and their bondage in Egypt. Okay? One more. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And even though you were dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he nevertheless made you alive with him, having forgiven all your transgressions. He has destroyed what was against us, a certificate of indebtedness, debt language, I can't can't stress that enough. Expressed in decrees opposed to us. He has taken it away by nailing it to the cross, disarming the rulers and authorities. Do you hear it? Do you hear the language that he's basing this on? Disarming the rulers and authorities, he has made a public disgrace of them, triumphing them, triumphing over them by the cross. So the idea is that we have, for Gustav Allen, this is so great, a Christian who doesn't keep Torah, the church has gotten this wrong. 
It wasn't the Torah nailed to the cross. It was death. Right. So what are the problems with it? And there's a glaring one. For most, it doesn't deal adequately with the issue of sin. Okay? And it doesn't, it, some would say it doesn't express clearly why Messiah had to come and die. Now, I wanted to be unbiased and give the critique, but I really like this theory. So I'm going to respond because I have a live mic. That is true. Only if you view the transgression of sin as the issue. That's not the issue. The issue is the curse which comes about through sin, which is death. That's the issue. Okay? Moving on. Yeshua's death, the suffering servant. Okay? So whenever people put emphasis on the death, the moment on the cross, these theories come about. The first one is the satisfaction theory. Again, very, very old. Okay? This view sets God's justice or honor against man's immense debt in sin. This satisfaction view is a reaction to the ransom view. Again, this reactionary thing. So uh, it's argued that it was not Satan, but to God that man's debt is owed. Now that man's sin debt has been exacted from the son, man can be reconciled to God's divine justice. Very familiar, right? Show of hands. Yeah. Most people have heard that. Yeah, for sure. And its cousin, which comes directly from it, is the one that I was personally presented with and saved by. Penal substitutionary atonement. It's probably the one that most people know best, and it's probably the, the only one you thought existed. I hope that I'm not just speaking for myself here. I always thought this was the only way to quantify it. So this view sets, or, or let's see. This view is associated often with Martin Luther and Calvin. Very reformed, very late, I should point out. I.e. new. Newer. New. Yeah, right. Thanks. Um, The word penal refers to the divine penalty enacted at the cross. I'll say that again. The word penal, it means penalty, refers to the divine penalty enacted at the cross. And this penalty is more than payment for sin to God, though it is that. It is also the side at which God expended his wrath against human sin. Okay? So it's, all, it's about wrath against sin. God can be just and the justifier of the ungodly because Christ was our substitute on the cross. He paid sin's penalty. Does all of this sound familiar? I'm pretty sure I was giving this on a track at one point. Okay? By a sacrificial death, he canceled the record of death. It, it quotes Colossians. Our sin in this view is imputed to Christ and his righteousness is imputed to us. That's that old Baptist talk. Yeah. I love it. Yep. Right? Yep. Now, uh, I want to read a couple of verses. The, the main one people go to often, Romans 5. Romans Road. Yeah, Romans Road. You got to do it. <laughs> Romans Road, Romans 5, 8 through 11. But God demonstrates his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, because we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from God's wrath. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Then, of course, the suffering servant passages, Isaiah 53. Verse 5, he was wounded because of our rebellious deeds, crushed because of our sins. He endured punishment that made us well. Because of his wounds, we have been healed. Uh, 10 and 11, though the Lord desired to crush him and make him ill, once restitution is made, he will see descendants and enjoy long life, and the Lord's purpose will be accomplished through him. Having suffered, he will reflect on his work. He will be satisfied, speaking of the servant, by the way, in my opinion. He will be satisfied when he understands that he, what he has done. My servant will acquit many, for he carried their sins. Okay, and I went through that really fast. 
So first of all, there, there, in my opinion, there are two problems with this theory. Um, the first one is it doesn't explain so much why Yeshua says, follow my example. Because from this theory comes exactly what you spoke about whenever we kind of introed this thing, which is he died and paid it all, so why do anything? If my debt has been paid and wrath has been poured out, why, why, why live righteously? Yeah, and if uh, th- that's lit- that, that mindset, we have to understand, that mindset comes from this theory. There's no way around that. Yeah, and the idea that, um, that his righteousness was imputed to me, that imputed, what a bible word. Yeah, give me a definition. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that righteousness was imputed, that, that tells me as the, the recipient or the believer that I have no participation in, my, in righteousness, right? So, so I mean, let's just, how many of you have understand penal substitution? This is probably the, the thing you kind of grew up with. So we, we know really firsthand, and you can tell by my teachings, especially when talking about offerings, this is really the one that gets under my, like this is the thorn in my saddle. Um, because to me, it's been so toxic. It's been abused and weaponized. It, it, it has been abused, and, and, and not that there's not truth to it maybe, but as you're going to see as we go through these, and I'll say this again towards the end, if you only hold one view, if you only hold a penal substitution view, and that colors your entire life, whew, it's going to be rough. <laughs> if you only hold the Christus Victor view, again, only one of these, these views of, of what Yeshua's work was is, is tough to do. The, the, the idea that, that righteousness was given to me based on nothing I did, Basing on nothing I ever could do, means that how I live my life can't really affect it from here on out. Because it's not mine, it's somebody else's. And so we, we live in this disjointed, dislocated, kind of we don't know where we stand kind of thing. Even though we claim, we claim this imputed righteousness, we still don't understand. Because it's not ours, we can't own it. But there's a, there's a lot of issues um, with this. I'm, I'm going to say that there's two main ones ahead, that, okay. I would, that I would really like to address. Number one, first and foremost, verse 9, uh, saved through him from God's wrath. I would argue, and so would a lot of New Testament scholars, I'm not going to say all because that's just not true, but a lot of New Testament scholars would argue saved through him from God's judgment. Hmm. Because what happens at the end of days, whenever we are judged, if you are unrepentant, you die a second death. I cannot stress enough that the problem that God had to fix is death. Second of all, if you keep reading, for if while, okay, so it says, we are saved through him from God's judgment. This is for, Romans 5, right? This is still Romans 5. For if while we were enemy, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more, it's that rabbinic ploy, how much more, since we have been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Mm-hmm. Do you see? So Paul even, even like, 
the presentation of this view is separated from the rest of that passage, mm-hmm. from that full argument. Like we do, taking a half a verse here and a half a verse there. How much more so are we saved by his life? Right. The victory over death. Right. <laughs> okay. Problem number two, and I'm opening a can of worms, and I apologize ahead of time because Good. I didn't ask if it was kosher. <laughs> Problem number two is that this assumes original sin. We have, we have beat around the bush, and I'm just going to address it outright. Original sin, Augustine's doctrine of original sin, which is where it comes from, comes from a poor translation of the Latin Vulgate, okay, of Romans 5, through, through but, one man. Right, right. So, so let's, I know we all know what original sin is. We may just not talk about it in that I'm definition. So let's define original sin first. Basically, you've inherited sin through Adam's sin. And there's the nothing you can do about it. You were born into this world, fresh, take your first breath, you're sinful. By no, just sucks to be you. Just because, you know, it sucks to be a human. It's just the way it, way it goes. Okay? And I want you guys to live in this tension for a moment, because I, I, I'm sure someone's uncomfortable somewhere, if not in here online. And most of us believe this because it's all the only option we've ever been given. But also, I would dare to believe that most of us that have really thought about this go like, I don't know. Doesn't something do-. And so there is a tension. And there probably has been a tension in some of your lives for a long time. But nobody would, ever, nobody would come out and ever say, yeah, there's right. some problems with it. Because again, so we're going to do it. <laughs> again, I want to stress that original sin is often touted as the reason in which we need a Savior. Yes. And don't worry, I will, I will address that as well. Yeah. Okay, so Augustine's doctrine of original sin comes from a poor translation from the Latin Vulgate, a translation of a translation of Romans 5.12. It's a passage you all know. Whenever I read it, you'll recognize it. So then, just as sin entered the world, I'm going to read it the way Augustine's Vulgate read. So then, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all people, in him all sinned. That's what the Vulgate said. That is not what the Greek New Testament says. Let me read it the way that it is written in the Greek New Testament. And most English Bibles today are correct in their rendering. I had to change the way my Bible is translated to read it the way Augustine read it. So then, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all people because all sinned. Do you see the difference? It's subtle. So we didn't all sin in one man. We all die because we all sin. Death was the original thing that separated us from God. Death was the product of sin. This theory assumes that the issue that must be fixed is transgression itself. That is not what needs to be fixed. We could always repent. In the Tanakh, they could repent and be forgiven. Right, right. So then what must be addressed? Death. Right. Death has to be rectified to get us back to the garden. Right. That is why we need a savior. Not because we are sinners. We are sinners because we have all chosen to do what Adam did and disobey. The reason we need a savior is because death can't be a thing for all things to be restored to the original Edenic ideal. Which is back in the presence of God before the tree of life. Where there is no death. This is, 
Augustine drastically, if I can say and just be frank, drastically misunderstood and misappropriated this passage. And we are all paying for it today. And this could be a massive rabbit hole that we probably don't want to go down today. I'll just say, this is my favorite statement on sin. Favorite I've ever heard. It's not a Bible verse. Uh, Moshe Kempinski owns a store. Moshe and his brother Dove own a store in the old city of Jerusalem called Shurashim. means roots. The old city of Jerusalem. It's a little gift shop. But hundreds, maybe even thousands of tourists come through their shop every year. Well, not this year. But Bezrat Hashem, maybe next year. And Moshe does these little talks and talks about the land and talks about... But he also, as a rabbi and as a very learned man, talks about the differences between Christianity and Judaism. Moshe said... I don't remember anything else Moshe said sitting there that hour with him. But this is the one thing I do remember. He said the difference between Christians and Jews is for Christians, sin is something you are. I.e. original sin. Right. Something in you. Right. Something in you. It's something you're infected with. He said, for Christians, sin is something you are. For Jews, sin is something you do. And our New Testament writers are Jews. Paul in Romans 5, Jewish. Think think about that statement. For, For Christians, sin is something you are. For Jews, sin is something you do. Consider the implications. And you are allowed to disagree. I yeah, yeah. I mean, you can disagree or you can leave and go like, I didn't like that. That's fine. I didn't like this either 10 years when I first thought about it, studied it. If the, because we have to always ask the implications of new things, right? Okay, if we're going to change the way we think about this, then what is it, what's the ripple effect it has down the road? I love the implications of this one. Because if, I'm, if I don't, if my, if my beautiful children... One of which has not slept in like four nights. <laughs> so by default, neither has mommy or daddy. If that beautiful baby comes out and he's not, when, when he's born, is not infected by a, a sin, something that's a part of him, but he has a choice later in his life, that means that you and I weren't either. How, again, how much healing could come if we... If we just consider, and if, again, even if we don't believe at all, because it can get dangerous, but even if, we, even if we just consider that maybe sin is not something you are, maybe sin is something you do. Let's move on to an emphasis on Yeshua's life and teachings. So the first theory, and these are all really related, and some people don't even separate them. Okay, so I want to say that up front. First one is the moral exemplar theory. So in this view, man's greatest need is not to be reconciled to God. No, rather, man needs an ultimate moral example. And Christ provides this via his self-giving life and death. According to Peter Abelard, a French scholar who who propagated the most in the modern age, again, I would argue that some of these go back a lot older, uh, Jesus died as a demonstration of God's love, a demonstration which can change the hearts and minds of the sinners, turning them back to God. So for Abelard, atonement happens whenever the sinner repents and lives the example of Yeshua's life. Okay. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 21-24 For this you were called, since Messiah suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. When he was maligned, he did not answer back. When he suffered, he threatened no retaliation, but committed himself to God who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we may cease from sinning 
and live by righteousness. By his wounds, we, you were healed. Don't, so, don't, yeah, don't, and, and don't sleep on that little phrase that we may cease from sinning and live for righteousness. And live for righteousness. Right. By example. It, it really seems passage. like the New Testament really thinks that sin is not something you are, it's something you do. Absolutely. It seems like the New Testament believes that. Sure. Just yeah. the church doesn't believe it, which means we don't really believe the New Testament. <laughs> Ooh, sorry. Ooh. <laughs> Was that too far? <laughs> sorry. 1 John 3.16. 1 John, not John. 1 John 3.16. <laughs> we have come to know love by this, that Yeshua laid down his life for us. Thus we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Philippians, see, it's that example thing, following the example. Philippians 3.10. My aim is to know him, to experience the power of his resurrection, and to share in his sufferings, and to be like him in his death. Okay, it's this example, this moral example thing. Next one is the solidarity theory. I, capital L-O-V-E, love this theory. <laughs> love it. Okay, can't stress it enough. This view argues that Messiah at the cross identified with humanity's sufferings and overcame it. Very similar to Christus Victor in a lot of ways. Most of these, these theories are. In doing so, he brought humanity into a new way of living according to divine justice. I'll say, so the point is that he, he identified with suffering and then countered it with justice through the way he lived. While considered newer, this view has roots within older views and is most similar to Christus Victor. I'll give you a few examples. Matthew twenty-seven forty-six. At about three o'clock, Yeshua shouted with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A, a Messiah who, who suffered, right? And identified with the sufferings of people. Have you ever felt that way? <laughs> God, set, why have you forsaken yeah. me? Okay. Isaiah 53 the suffering servant is the playground for this theory. He was despised and rejected by people, one who experienced pain and was acquainted with illness. People hid their faces from him. He was despised and, was con- and we considered him insignificant. He was treated harshly and afflicted, but he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb to the soldering block, like a sheep silent before his shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was led away after an unjust trial. But who even cared? Indeed, he was cut off from the land of the living because of the rebellion of his own people. He was wounded. So the idea here is that through Yeshua, God is taking interest in the suffering of humanity. And it is our job to join him in these sufferings, not only in solidarity to him, but to our brothers and sisters who likewise suffer. So this is the atonement theory of the momser. Mm-hmm. You're the outsider. You suffer. You're oppressed. Have I got good news for you? And then the last one, the participation theory. Okay. Sometimes not separated from solidarity. Uh, I would say that there is a bit of variation. So participation involves becoming similar to Messiah through the actions of the Holy Spirit. To such a degree, a person might be called identical in some sense with Christ. Isn't that our goal, to be Christ-like? Now I want you to do some homework. You didn't know you were going to have to do homework. I'm sorry. Go home. Look through not the right go- now. Go, look through the Gospels. Look through the, or not, not through the Gospel. You can. I'll explain why. But look through Paul's letters. And 
I want you to write down how many times you see something that looks like it could be substitutionary atonement and how much something looks like this. Because Paul teaches that Messiah dies in the place of others so they can escape, or he doesn't. His, his primary teaching is not that Messiah dies in the place of others so they escape death, substitution, right? It is rather that Messiah's sharing in their death makes it possible for them to share in his. Representation is not an adequate single word description, nor particularly participation. But at least they help convey the sense of continuing identification with Messiah through and beyond his death, Mm -hmm. which, as we shall see, is fundamental to Paul's soteriology or or theory of salvation. This is a quote. Jürgen Moltmann, the the main proponent of this theory, says, in a participatory model, so God does it all, and we are included in the doing of God. And not as puppets are we fully included, but as creatures created by the creator of God, the creator God to be creative. It is we who contribute something. We who are artists participating in the artistry of God. I've tried to even change the way that I say some of these things just personally because there's, there's hangups there. But um, the, the idea that we, we are to be, you know, God make me more like you. That idea probably needs to be corrected a little bit. In this participation thing, you know, we could talk about divinity, whether he was or wasn't, whatever. We're not going to get into that debate this morning. We've already heard enough feelings probably. But the, the participation in the human part of Yeshua's life, death, burial, and resurrection, that participation is not to make us more like God. It's actually to make us more human, fully human, and that can be a really hard, like, wait, what? Because if you come from a substitution, a, a penal type of background, humanity is the last thing you want to be, <laughs> right? Because humans are the scourge of the earth because of original sin, this disease we have. But if you understand that, that humans were created good, tov me'od, very good, divine in the image of God, and that God wanted to and and has striven across all history to partner with mankind to bring his kingdom, then in Yeshua, what you have is the the complete human, the the ideal of humanity. The one in the image of God. Right. As submitted as submitted to Hashem. Do you understand that little that little difference? Trying to be like God is impossible. It's a frustrating task. God make me more like you. And the whole time you're saying that, you're thinking, oh, but I'm not like God in this and this and this and this. I got a lot of stuff to change. I'm overwhelmed. Forget it. Jesus did it all. Like that, this reasoning that we use because it's so hard. Not, not, not the case. That God made humanity unique and diverse and beautiful because he wanted to partner with us to spread his kingdom. So as we follow Yeshua, we actually become more human. And that's a great thing. That's, that's the restoration of Eden. That's the restoration of Eden. God didn't create little gods. He created humans. Something with his fingerprint, his image, but distinct from himself. Right. I meant to open this can of worms. I'm just going to do it. Okay, good. Uh, while we're at it. Please, let's. So, um, also, I think with substitutionary atonement, and maybe even a couple of these other theories, there's sort of this, and maybe it doesn't even have to do with these theories. It just, that just sort of jogged my mind what you said. Uh, this, this idea that, like, you know, Jesus died to zap us to heaven. Like, no, if we're trying to get back to the Garden of Eden, which I desperately believe we are, 
the way God always intended creation to be and function, he made the earth to dwell here with us. Right. The point right. of the whole point of this earth, this thing I'm sitting on a chair on that's rotating in space. Are not dependent on you. It is. <laughs> it is. Let me just clear the air. It is. <laughs> the Bible assumes a flat earth. It doesn't teach one. You're welcome. Another oh, can of worms. That's good. Um, I would drop this mic, but it's expensive. And I don't want to have to play this. So, well, God, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> this, this, this rock, this, this molten rock that we're floating on, right? It was made for God to dwell here with us. Yeah. That was the whole point. It was made. Why do you want to leave? Right. <laughs> right. Why? Right. Can I just ask why? I, like, that's not me being silly. I'm not trying to be goofy. I'm very excited and passionate right now, <laughs> but I'm not trying to be silly. That's a genuine question for anyone who has never asked it. Why do you want to leave so desperately? This place was made for God to be here with you. And it's good. And it's good. And it's beautiful. And if, if this is a cause, if God has a cosmic temple and his presence is supposed to be in the earth, then where in the temple is the earth? Right. Somebody say it. The Holy, Holy of Holies. We have a whole solar system. Have you ever thought about it like that? Whole, some, some people just went, oh my God. If, the, if it's a cosmic temple and God chose this place for his presence, his Shekinah to be, where is this? And so do you see again why death is the issue? Again, from a temple center, you can't, you, to me you can't see this stuff without knowing the temple. I'm, I'm taking for granted that all the Genesis stuff is firmly rooted in your mind. Right. And if, if it's not, you've got a lot of homework to do. But this, if this space that we live in is equated to that, death can't, it's not a thing. But also, if you transgress in the, the, in, in the Kadosh Kodoshim, the Holy of Holies, death is the penalty. Yes. Or there, exile. Or exile. Which is death. Which is death. Right? Because look at the garden. They sinned. God said, surely you will die. They didn't die immediately. They were exiled, and then they died. Right? Exile and death and temple, all, this is all hand in hand. So which one's more important? Or is that even a good question? Right. Which one's right? It's not. Oh, okay. Spoiler alert. <laughs> it's not a good question. Man. So which one is right? Which one's best? Right? Which portrays the biblical story the best? Which is emphasized properly? Well, at the end of the day, these are, all of these theories have some sliver of truth to them, even if it's a small one. And uh, they're all responses to one another. They're all part of the wider conversation. They all have scriptural basis. <laughs> so, I'm going to propose that the best way to view atonement is like a kaleidoscope. You guys ever put a kaleidoscope up to the light, and the more you adjust it and change it, you get a different view, and the light comes through, and you see different shades and colors and shapes. It's exactly what this is like. Because whenever all are considered, you can see the thing, which Scott McKnight says, through the metaphors, which is reconciliation in every direction. With God, self, others, and the world. All right, now let's talk about, like, what is this, what's the point here, right? How do we live this? Everything we've learned since the Genesis series brought us to this moment, right? Sacred space. Offerings, the divine image, exile, death, empire, shalom. You have to understand all that before you tackle this subject. Perhaps the most important thing, though, 
is that on page one of the Bible, from page one of the Bible, God insists and is obsessed with having human partners. That partnering doesn't just stop with God's will or his instruction, okay, but with atonement. Atonement is not something done only by God for us, but is also something we do for others. Atonement is a practice, okay? This is not in opposition to the view that atonement is what God does for us. Not, that's not what I'm saying at all. Rather, it is the conviction that atonement is embodied in what God does for us in such a way that we are compelled to participate with God in his redemptive work. This is why I find personally some form of the participatory model with the other theories so important because it's what God has always wanted, our help and our partnership. Mm-hmm. And atonement is part of tikkun olam. It's yep. part of repairing the world that we are called to participate in. That's so good. Second uh, Corinthians five eighteen through 20. And all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Messiah and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, in Messiah, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against them, and he has given us, given us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are our ambassadors for Messiah, as though God were making his plea through us. We plead with you on Messiah's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's atonement. And make no mistake, it doesn't matter what theory you hold to, if it doesn't end up looking like this, if it's not something that, that, that comes out in a lifestyle, it's for nothing. Nothing.